what would the believer's relationship be to a wicked government? A government that was doing atrocities that were, that's opposed to God. Or you can even ask, I'll go a little bit further. What is the believer's responsibility to financially support a wicked government? Or one more. We're going to go even further. At what point would a believer say, well, I'm no longer going to support this government that is doing things that are opposed to God. Oh, wait, we're going to go further. At what or to what extent should I, have, as a believer, be required to follow a wicked government? And at what point would I, as a believer, be free to throw off the shackles of a wicked government? And rebel against them. Real questions. This, this is not, I guess you could say, flannel board Sunday school questions. These are, these are tough answers or tough questions. And I have a feeling if we were to get together and have some discussion, there'd be some heat that would start to be thrown, Right? There'd be differing opinion, for sure. Well, what we're going to find is in Romans 13 today, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7, but in Romans 13, Paul is going to start addressing a a single truth rather than more of what has been kind of a, a fire, 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 just firing off a lot of different truths that kind of point in the same direction, he's going to be looking at a single truth and, tr- and start fleshing this truth out over several verses. And what his main point is, what he is I'm going to be building out that we would follow over these seven verses, it's going to be that you must submit to governmental authority Because it, the government, is a servant of God. You must submit to governmental authority because it is a servant of God. And if you look on your handout, that's right at the top. That is the main point. And the way he's going to argue for this point is he's going to, we're going to actually see in this passage, in these seven verses, that we've got three black and white very clear, very easy to see and understand commands that we must obey. These are going to be imperatives. And there's actually four, if you're a grammar person, there's four imperatives. But two of them, the middle two, are actually making the same argument. Um, One in the positive and one in the negative. But we're going to see three black and white commands that we must obey as we live underneath the government and the governmental authority. We're going to see that we are called in verses 1 through 3, in the first half of 3, that we are to submit to the authorities. We're to submit to authorities. Then in verses 3 through 5, we're going to see that we are to do good. That's a command. And then 
verses 6 and 7 at the end, we'll see that we're actually to pay your taxes. So we're going to start with a word of prayer before we wade into these deep waters and um, look and see what the Lord would have, a, um, have us learn and grow from in these first seven verses. So let's pray. Our God and our Father, we pray that you would conform our hearts to your word. We pray that you would encourage us in godliness, that you would convict us in our error, and we pray that um, you, would, uh, you would really allow me to clearly point out and show what your word says, guard, guard my mouth from error, and Father, may ultimately we be to your glory in the way that we live. We pray this in your son's name, amen. So Romans 13, and this is what he's done, it seemed like, each of the last few weeks, he just jumps right in and has very pointed, very much, uh, uh, some, sometimes hard to hear or convicting uh, statements, questions, and in this case, case, a command right out of the gate. So read along with me. I'm going to start in verse 1 and go through verse 7. We'll read the whole passage, and then we'll walk back through um, over the next 50 minutes and uh, break this down. So, verse 1, Romans 13. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist have been appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists that authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of that authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword in vain, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings on the one who practices evil, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of that wrath, but also because of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting them devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Taxes to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So Paul jumps right in, just like he has been doing, and we have this sudden break. Um, it's relatively disconnected. It doesn't flow um, right from uh, where he has been in, uh, up through the end of chapter 12, where he's been talking about and he's continuing to flesh out what it means to live that life of sacrifice where you offer yourselves as a sacrifice to God. But here, Paul gives a very well-articulated argument or really, uh, I guess, a, an explanation as to what we must do in relationship to our governing authorities. And there's three, and I, and I labeled it this way, black and white commands. 
three black and white commands that we must obey as we live underneath those governing authorities. And the reason I say they're black and white is because each one of these, they're just imperatives. They are something that, are, that we're told, obey, do these things. They're very clear as to what is being said. What we need to do is look at the passage and understand how does this apply to us in our life today. And the first command that we have right out of the gate is submit to authorities. And so really, he starts off with this first overarching arching command. It summarizes his entire paragraph. What he is going to be talking about is submitting to the governmental authorities. And so he says every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. So let's, let's start, before we look at the submission, let's look at, at this very first phrase right here where he says every person and, and literally what it is is every soul. Every soul is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. And this is something that's a common um, phrase even in Old Testament Hebrew that the soul would just mean the individual. So each person, and that's, that's why um, your translation most likely says either each person or each one, because literally he's saying each soul is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. But here's what's neat. The understanding of the soul is it's, it, it is actually something that would be more than just an individual, but it would be a term that would be understood to encompass the entirety of a person. So think of it this way. This is calling the believer or calling, calling the person to not just with your actions submit yourself to the governing authority, but with your mind, with your emotion, with the entirety of who you are, you are to be in subjection to the governing authorities. And so we can very easily understand with children, great picture, sometimes you will tell them to do something and they might obey with their actions, but it's evident <laughs> through their responses they are, not, uh, they are not obeying wholeheartedly. Their heart, their mind is not in it. They might obey with their actions, but that is actually not what Paul is even permitting here. By saying each soul, each individual, each person is going to be um, called to be in subjection to the governing authorities, when you submit yourself, understand that what is built in to, um, to this command is that it's something that we need to be doing with our whole heart, our whole mind, all that we are. And every person, whether this is a believer or an unbeliever, we are to be with our entire being, who we are, we are to be in subjection to the governing authorities. So if we are to be submitting ourselves to in subjection to the governing authorities, let's take a look at the governing authorities because it's important to know what and who we're submitting ourselves to with our whole being. So this is broken up in two words, governing authorities. And so literally governing, the word that would be governing, what that would be is the one who is standing above you or one that is in a higher rank 
a higher position than you are. It would be someone who is, you could even say, superior to or better than you. So it's we are to submit ourselves to those who are higher, ranked above, or are superior to us. And that is, that is even um, seen even in the understanding of the authorities. The authorities, I mean, that is just the one who exercises authority and power over another person. So the word that is written and spoken to us is that we, with our whole, our whole bodies, who we are, we are to submit ourselves to the authority over us that has the power, the position, and they are exercising that power and position over us. In the English, where we have government, governing, there's not, um, you, you know, we have the idea that it might be the formal government structure. And in the United States, we're thinking, oh, the people that are elected to us or ho who hold the office. But when we're actually reading this, it, in the understanding of the original readers would have been those who are standing above you or are superior to you, who are exercising power over you, those are the ones that you are to be submitting yourselves to. And we'll actually look at this briefly, but if you, you can actually look at the top of your, um, um, the top of your uh, handout, and it references in 1 Peter, um, there's a parallel passage that has some of the same teachings that Paul is going to be teaching here. But one of the things that he does in 1 Peter, after talking about going to the, um, and submitting to those who have authority over you, he doesn't just stop with the govern, government, the governors and the kings, but he also continues to those who employ you, implore you. Um, and so uh, parents have authority over their children. The employer has authority over, um, over, over the employee, the master, over the slave. And so it's not necessarily strictly limited to those who have a political office. Now, what we find as we work our way through, Paul clearly is talking about the political office here, and this is going to become more evident as we go through. But the, um, as we're understanding who it is that we are submitting ourselves to, it is to those who have a position above us that is superior over us, that has the power um, to uh, be over us. It literally would be the authorities that are over and above you that are exercising power over you. So what Paul is addressing to the Roman believers and to us today is that every person, regardless of whether you're a believer or not, with their entire person, their mind, their emotions, their body, must, in their relationship with the government, with those exercising superior power and authority over them, they must submit to them. They must be in subjection to them. So when we say be in subjection to what this is really doing is it is recognizing the word submit or be in subjection to. It's recognizing one's subordinate place in a hierarchy. If you were to think of the military environment, 
a soldier would recognize that a superior officer is over him and that he is underneath him. It's not something he has to um, be upset about or frustrated about. It's, a, it's a, the way the military works. I recognize that I am under or um, subordinate to the officers that are above me. And that's the idea behind um, the, the command to submit. It's to acknowledge as a general rule that certain people or institutions, they have authority over us. They have power over us. And this is the way the, the verb is set up. It's a command. It's an imperative. And so we are told those that have the position and the power and authority over us and that exercise it over us, we are to recognize that they have that position over us and submit ourselves to the hierarchy of being subordinate to them. This is something that we are commanded to do. And there's um, one, um, one commentator, he actually translated it this way, and I thought this was very helpful, the way that he translated this passage. He says, let every soul place himself habitually in subjection to the higher powers. Let each soul with their entire being place himself habitually. This is the way he lives his life on an ongoing basis. Place himself habitually in subjection to the higher powers. The powers that are over this. But this command, this should not be something that's new to us. The idea of submitting ourselves to authorities that are over us, this isn't something that is novel. This is something that we've been hearing since we have been in Sunday school. If you have been in church for any period of time, we know that we are called to submit ourselves to those who have authority over us. What are some of the areas that we as believers um, elsewhere in Scripture, what are some of the areas that we are called to submit ourselves to? What other areas of authority? In, in the church. That's right. So, so one, we actually have um, a hierarchy uh, of leadership in the church that we submit ourselves to. That's right. And, and what else? I heard some others. Okay. Yeah. So law enforcement, the governing um, officials that are over us. Mm -hmm. Parents. How many of us have children that we would like to you know, recognize and place themselves underneath the, the authority that we have? We, I'm sorry? Marriage. Marriage, absolutely. And so you look at Ephesians, um, Ephesians 5. The wives are called to submit themselves to the husband. God, that's, that's exactly right. So ultimately... And each of the positions that we are submitting ourselves to, we are submitting ourselves to the Lord, as to God, as we submit ourselves to those who are over us. And we have slaves to masters, the spiritual leaders, as we're talking about. And, 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 and these are, this, this is something that is not new to us. We understand that we as believers are called to submit ourselves to the authorities that are over us. And this is in line with how God has called the believers to live. And it shouldn't be a surprise that God actually calls us to submit ourselves to 
the governing authorities, those authorities that have um, power over us. Those who are exercising their power, power and authority over us, we are to submit to them. This is in line with our Christian faith and what God has called us to do and how he's called us to live. So, now let me talk about this. What is not said or clarified, there's no requirement that it is only those governing authorities who are God-fearing that we submit ourselves to. There's no limitations that he lists about these are the only ones who we're going to label as valid authorities for us to submit ourselves to. So whatever valid means. There's no exclusions of if there has been authority forced upon you that you have not consented to. Well, you don't have to submit yourself to those. Well, there's no exclusions like that. What is very clearly laid out and explained is that we are to submit ourselves to the governing authorities, the superior authorities that are placed over us. We are to submit ourselves to those authorities. So, and we're going to flesh this out a little bit as we go. And John, we'll, we'll, we'll flesh this out probably and answer some of your questions. And depending on where we go, we may, we may actually even have time for some discussion in the back. But um, we're going to flesh this out as we go. But what, he's gonna, what he immediately goes into after giving this hard command of submit yourselves to these authorities, he then starts giving Here's some of the reasons. And this is, this is these three reasons that we're going to be looking at. Um, they're actually listed on your handout, so you can take a look at that. But Paul gives three reasons to us of why we are called to submit ourselves um, to, the, to our authorities. Number one, all authority is from God. And this is important. This, this, this is going to be good. All authority is from God. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist, meaning the authorities that exist, the authority that is in place, what does it say? They have been appointed by God. Whew. <laughs> is that one a tough pill to swallow? Let's walk through this. No authority except from God. And those that exist have been appointed by God. To appoint literally means to assign a place to or to ordain. And this is what's neat. The, one commentator pointed out that the tense that this is in, it means it's to have been ordained, and as a result, remain ordained. So this was not, it was ordained, but now is no longer. But what this commentator was pointing out was the tense, the way it must be understood and read, is that the authority has been and is still ordained by God. No authority except from God. Whew. 
These are tough pills, but let's, let's keep looking at this. And, and I'll tell you, there are good people who we know and love that disagree with us on what this means. There are good people who disagree with us on what this means. Let me ask you this question, and we're, we're going we're gonna to talk about it. Does God appoint individual leaders... Or does God appoint the office of the authority which evil people may occupy? Okay? So do you understand? This is the question where there are people who are going to disagree on this a little bit. Is it God appoints the individual or does God appoint the office of authority that evil people occupy that appointed office. You see the difference? So let's think about this. I'm going to actually answer this very question here in just a minute. Because it's an important question to know how we're going to understand or how we're going to respond. But think about this. And I ask this question now because Paul is about to give a very important follow-up to this statement that he just gave about all authority being appointed from God. So, why is it that we should obey authorities? Very simple, positively, because we should obey because all authority is from God. Let's take a survey as we start finding out what these answers are, um, the, the, the way that we should understand um, these positions. Let's take a survey of godly and ungodly governments. Let me correct that. Of God and ungodly governments. Okay? We're going to start in very, start easy in Romans, where he's been talking about in Romans 9, just a few um, passages or a few chapters back. In verse 17, listen to this individual. And I think we all would agree Pharaoh was a wicked man. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I raised you up in order to demonstrate my power in you, and in order that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. The wicked man Pharaoh was raised up by God for God's purpose. You can look at John 19. What did Christ say to the ungodly Pilate? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Pilate had authority. The only authority he had was that which had been ordained from God. In Daniel chapter 4, in verse 17, this is Nebuchadnezzar reporting on God's dream to him. He says, This edict is by the resolution of the watchers, and this decision is the command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know, what are the living to know? 
that the Most High is the powerful ruler over the kingdom of mankind. Who is the ruler? The Most High. God is. And gives it to whoever he wishes. And sets up over it the lowliest of men. God is the ruler. He's the one who appoints the individual, even the lowliest of men. Nebuchadnezzar, you are appointed by me to rule over my kingdom. And some people say, though, in Hosea 4, and this is a passage that people will actually go to, to say that God does not appoint every authority. And referring to Israel, who had requested the king, we want a king like the nations do to rule over us. In Hosea chapter 8, in verse 4, this says, and, and God is speaking, he says, They have set up kings, but not by me. They have appointed princes, but I did not know it. To which people will respond, see, God is saying himself, not all authority is put in place by him. But let's actually look in Hosea, so the same book, if you look a few chapters later, in chapter 13, so Hosea 13, verses 9 through 11, Hosea actually explains what actually happened in this time when they set up a king not by me that God did not know. He explains in Hosea 13, 9, It is your ruin, O Israel, that you are against me and against your help. Where now is your king, that he may save you in all your cities, and your judges of whom you said, Give me a king and princes? They were asking for this. In verse 11, he says, I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. Even the, even the king, who God said, that wasn't by me, that was you, even in that situation, God was actually the one who both gave the king and took the king away. There is no authority except that which is ordained by God. Even the kings and governments that people establish in their rebellion against God. As people are rebelling against God in their wickedness, God is still the one who has the authority and is ordaining that authority to be in place. So let me ask a question. E4M guys, I know we've got a few of you out there. Try not to look specifically at Jay, but that's okay. <laughs> so, so, there's three reasons why Jacob and his sons, that, uh, that we talked about, why Jacob and his sons went into Egypt. What are, what are some of those reasons? There's a loss of, a loss of purpose, a loss of unity, and in Genesis 15, 16, we're told why, um, why Egypt? It was because the sin of the Amorites was not yet complete. One of the reasons um, they went down to Egypt was because, Israel went down to Egypt, was because the sin of the Amorites was not yet complete. You're like, what? So God had a greater purpose than just sending Jacob's um, family down to Egypt to become a nation. Was that a purpose? Yes. 
But that wasn't the only purpose. His purpose, God's purpose, also involved raising up a wicked nation so that he could judge them and bring Israel out and judge the Amorites with destruction. God raises up even wicked authorities sometimes for their own destruction. No authority exists except that which is ordained by God. So, in other words, when you look at Romans 13.1, there is no authority except from God, and those which exist have been appointed by God. Even in evil, ungodly governments and ungodly societies, there's no authority except that which is from God. And those which exist, they have been appointed by God. And this is why every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. God has appointed them and put them in place. Now, that's not the only reason we are to be in subjection to them. The second reason would be resisting authority is resisting God. And look in verse 2. Therefore, therefore, because no authority exists except that which has been appointed by God, since that is true, therefore, whoever resists that authority has opposed the ordinance of God. This was a quote. Verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists that authority. Which authority? That which exists. Whoever resists that authority has opposed the ordinance of God. So let me ask this question. After having gone through this survey... Does God appoint individual leaders or does God appoint the offices which evil people may occupy or usurp? So I want to read you, this is, a, this is one commentator and the way that he would read it. Um, he says, the powers or authorities here are seen not in their individual personalities, meaning I'm not talking about the person. But as officers of the law, whose positions are ordained by God. Does this sound familiar to what I was asking? That is, the various offices of civil authority are appointed by God. The structure of government and the laws connected with it are appointed by God as means of promoting law and order on earth. The incumbents in those offices are not always ordained by God. We know that demons have a great deal to do with those various governments. So you follow his logic. An individual, and this is where it goes to, if an individual is not ordained by God, I could now resist and oppose the authority because I'm not really opposing the authority of God. I'm opposing the illegitimate person who is occupying the office. So God, I don't think, gives us this type of room that we just read in the passage. There is no authority except that which is from God, and those that exist have been appointed 
or ordained. And it's have been and continue to be appointed by God. And therefore, whoever resists that authority has opposed the ordinance of God. Very simply, what is it that resisting the authority is? It is opposing the decree or a statute of law. But whose law is it that you are opposing? It's the ordinance of God. By resisting the authority that God has placed over you, you're not just merely resisting man's law, you're also resisting God's law, God's ordinance in your life. If there is a higher governing authority, it has been established by God, and resisting this authority is resisting God. This isn't taking any grammatical gymnastics. This is clear teaching of the word that lines up with what we see playing out from Genesis, from Genesis on. And therefore, it should be no surprise to actually find the third reason why we need to actually um, submit ourselves to, to um, the authority. And it's because number three, opposing, opposing God's ordinance and his authority it hurts. If we oppose the ordinance of God and oppose and resist the authority, it hurts. Look at look in verse 2. We're going to continue on. It says, and those who have opposed, what happens? They will receive condemnation upon themselves. The condemnation, very sim- I mean, that is a sentence of judgment. The condemnation, this is what the crim- criminal gets after being found guilty. If you break man's ordinance, you can expect punishment and condemnation. It makes sense, then, if you break God's ordinance by resisting the authority that he's placed over you, you can expect a divine sentence that's laid out. So, in this passage, Paul does not have an asterisk. He doesn't say, but if you resist, you are opposing the ordinance of God. I am going to give you an asterisk. (laughs) When you look at the passage, the clear teaching of the passage is that we don't oppose the authority that God has placed over us. And if we do that, it is going to be opposing God's law. But um, we actually do have other places in Scripture that give us the times or situations where you cannot obey government. And um, what Paul is not doing in this passage, he's not trying to write a chapter in a systematic theology of this is everything that God would say on obeying government. We understand that. So, Let's look at a few other passages that show, so Jeremy, when is it that we can resist? And when is it that we can oppose? So very simply, let's start with Matthew 28 and verse verse 18. Christ's authority is positioned over 
man's authority, the governmental authorities, right? Where in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came up to his apostles and he spoke to them and he said, all what has been given to me? All authority has been given to me. All authority where? Does anyone know? In heaven and on earth. So we know sitting above the government, I mean the governmental authorities on this earth is Christ. Christ is the ultimate authority over the authorities that we have over us in our lives. So if your little brother is babysitting you and he tells you it's okay to go get the cookie jar when mom has left and said don't get the cookie jar, you can't plead ignorance and say, but he told me I can. When mom, who sits over the big brother, has told you, don't eat the cookies. The authority that is over the governing authority, it has the primacy. It has more authority. And when we look at um, how th- what this means to us, we can't break the authority of, that Christ has given us and say, well, I was just obeying the authority that was placed over me on here on earth. We have to first obey mom before we obey big brother, right? If you look in Acts 5, and this is a neat one. Starting in verse 27, this is Peter and the other 11 apostles. They were arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin. Verse 27, and when they had brought them, they stood them before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly commanded you not to continue teaching in his name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. To which I might say, yeah. But Peter and the apostles, they answered and said, what? We must obey God rather than man. Where did Peter disobey them? When God has called them to be the witness, to go out and share the gospel, and they say, stop, Peter and the apostles have the obligation to obey God, not man. And then the scene continued. Look at how. Look at how they respond. In verse 40, and after calling the apostles in and beating them, they commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. And they went on their way from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer the shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They absolutely did not submit themselves to the authority that was opposed to the command of the greater authority, God. If God calls you, or I'm sorry, if man... this, this almost didn't work. If man calls you to sin, you must obey God rather than man. If you really, really, really don't like the law, if you really dislike the authority that's placed over you, 
that is not calling you to sin, obey and submit yourself to the authority that God has placed over you. Unless your government gives you a court process to appeal an unjust law, which, praise the Lord, we have in our country, but not all countries do, but unless you have a process through which you can appeal what you see as an unjust, unkind, unfair, whatever it might be, provided it's not sin that it's calling you to, unless you have that process, you submit to it. You must submit to governmental authorities because it is the servant of God. So, this was, this was the bulk of the, of the passage. The rest is going to flow a little bit faster. But when we look at of the three black and white commands that we must obey as we live under governmental authority, the biggest one was submit to the authorities. We must do that. Number two, the next command is we must do good. We see this in verse three. Four, rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do good. It says, do you want to have no fear? Do you want to have no fear of that authority that God has placed over you? Do what is good. And this imperative, again, just like the first one to submit, this imperative is black and white command, go do it. Go do good. And this actually echoes of what we looked at in Romans 12, verse 17 last week, where it says, never paying back evil to anyone, respecting what is good in the sight of all men. We are to do good. Galatians 6.10, if you don't know this, this is a great passage to commit to, to memory and to your heart. It says, so then, while we have opportunity, let us, what's it say? Do good to all people, believer and unbeliever alike, but especially to those who are of the household of the faith. We can very simply do good, and by doing good, have no fear of the authority that is placed over us. Are you in fear of the government when you do wrong? Well, do good, and you'll no longer have any reason to fear. You can say, well, what if you are under a godless authority? They have no fear of God in them. Do good. Do good to all people, but especially those of the household of faith, and you'll have no reason to fear. But what if you are told to sin? What if you are told to turn in an, an oppressed people group for extermination? What do you do? At that point, you do good, and you hide the oppressed, oppressed people group in the name of Christ, and when you are arrested and tortured, you rejoice for being found worthy of suffering for the name and the sake of Christ, just like we saw in Acts 5. But regardless, 
we do good. And if you do good for most situations, we have no reason to fear. And if we find ourselves being persecuted and harmed or beaten for doing good, we can still rejoice because we're doing good for the name and the sake of Christ. And doing good, even underneath great oppression by godless governing authorities, this is what Paul has been talking about in Romans 12 up till now about living your life as a living sacrifice to God. And he looked at this in verse 2, in verse 9, in verse 17, in verse 21, repeatedly talking about giving and doing good in your living. And doing good will have a very specific result in your life. Look in verse 4, it says, And you will have the praise from the same, the governing authority that is over you. If you do good, you will actually have praise from them. For it, the governing authority, is a minister of God to you for good. By doing good, you will have praise from that governing authority. Even an oppressive authority can commend and praise those who do good. The very same governing authority that you think you might need to fear will actually bestow praise upon you. And notice here where it says, for it is a minister of God. Somebody take a stab, take a guess. What is the word translated as minister of God? What is this? It's deacon, the diakonos. The governing authority is a servant of God. And some of your translations will actually say that. The de- they are a deacon. They are a servant of God. And it's a servant of God to you for doing good. The authority God has over you is a servant. And their purpose is to minister and serve God for your good. But governing authorities, it's not just a minister and a servant to God for your good. It's also to suppress evil. Continue in verse 4, it says, but if you do what is evil, what are you to do? Be afraid, for it, the servant of God, does not bear the sword in vain. It is a minister of God. This time, it's a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath. It brings wrath on the one who practices evil, the one who lives that life of evil. The evildoer is to be afraid. He is to be afraid of God's minister of judgment bearing the sword. How many of you all have an idea of what a sword would be used for in a governmental um, situation. I have a feeling it's not to give out traffic citations. 
Swords are not used to wrap around your hands so you can't go away. A sword has one purpose, and it's to execute judgment by executing the individual. God has given the sword to execute his wrath, as it says, on the one who executes or who practices evil. It is a minister, an avenger, who brings wrath on the evil. And so when we look a few verses back, and we looked at this last week, where it says in Romans 12 and verse 19, never take your own revenge, beloved. Instead, leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. One of the reasons you are freed to love others and do good, even to those who are persecuting you, is because God has a powerful servant working on his behalf And that servant has been given a sword by him, and that sword is not going to be wielded in vain, but that sword is wielded by his servant to execute his vengeance and his judgment against the evildoer. We are freed to do good even to those who are persecuting us because God has given a sword-wielding servant to stand above you with authority. We must submit to governments and governing authorities because it is the servant of God. So we submit to governing authorities. We do good under the governing authorities. And number three, our favorite one, pay your taxes. (laughs) Verse six, pay your taxes. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the rulers are servants of God. We're noticing a theme here. The rulers, the individual rulers, not the office, the rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due Custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor. So follow this flow. Authorities are ministers and servants of God. They praise and promote the good in society. They punish and suppress the evil in society. And because of this, because they rule on his behalf, they support the good, they put down the evil, because of this, you actively and presently pay your taxes. Notice what it says. Because of this, you also pay. The Roman believers are currently paying their taxes. It's not you should pay or you ought to, t- ought to pay, but it's an assumption that believers are paying their taxes. And they're paying their taxes fairly, I might add. We understand what we're saying there. Don't cheat on your taxes. But why do they pay their taxes fairly? Because the rulers are servants of God. So what is the theological reason you should pay your taxes? 
Now, Jesus said, render to Caesar what Caesar's. We understand that, and Caesar's emblem is on that. But even more than that, we should pay taxes. And he says in verse 6, for because of this, you pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God. Have you thought of this before? This was new for me. You should pay taxes because you are paying and supporting God's servants. They have been established and ordained by God, and paying our taxes is the means through which God establishes and sets up the authorities that he has placed over us. Now, there are differences, again, to this, this passage that we've been talking about. There are, there, there are different um, understandings. What seems to be incredibly clear as we go through this is God has established all authority. Submit to it. Do good, and you have no fear of the authority. If you do evil, you will have fear of the authority, so do good. Now, if the government tells you to do good, and this was the asterisk we put in, or the government tells you to do evil, obey God rather than man, and we see that precedent. But because of this, because God has set up this authority to perform his ministry on this earth, because of this, for this, we pay taxes. Is there a difference between paying taxes to the government we like or agree with or support? Is there the point where we withhold our taxes and say they're going to use it for ungodly things, such as burning the Christians on spits to light the garden? Well, I'm not going to pay my taxes at that point. This is not the asterisks that we are given. And this gets incredibly difficult when we're talking about things such as, you know, government-funded abortions. Of course it's difficult. Of course it breaks our heart. But we do not have in this passage an asterisk that says, if we don't like or don't agree what the government is going to do, you don't have to obey this. This passage is so clear God has set the authority in place. We are called because the government, even the evil government, is the servant of God. Because of this reason, we pay our taxes and we pay it fairly. Rulers are devoting themselves to this very thing. Whether they're aware of it or not, they are devoting themselves to being the servants of God, and we submit ourselves to those authorities. John, I wish we had time. (laughs) Let's pray. Our God and Father, I pray that you would conform our hearts to your word. May you make us more into the image of your Son. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.